glad that you're with us. Um, and I think, are we on online? Thumbs up. Okay, thumbs up. All right, so uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad you're with us. We're picking up our reason of the hope that lies within you. My, um, This is a mini-series. I have a, I have a long, detailed uh, you know, series. I, I, it took like 10 weeks or 12 weeks to get through, and I've condensed it to um, three to four weeks here. So today my goal is to finish up, and I want to just kind of, because you've all slept since we last got together, um, you may have forgotten some of these things. So I'm going to try to just kind of rehearse some things, uh, where we've been. Uh, heresy begins and ends um, <clears throat> uh, in heaven. And I, that is not the point that I had. I actually changed that point. So I think that's an old slide there. But um, you guys know it begins and ends. I was I shared how Satan is the one who brought the first lies in and the doubts. There's nothing new under the sun, and we've got to know the devices that destroy biblical unity. So we spend a lot of time on that, uh, the Word of God. We talked about uh, how the devil attacks the Word, and having the real thing is how you know the difference between what's authentic and what is not. The New Testament confirms that we have already been promised uh, what we've already been promised in the uh, Old Testament. So many cults and false religions abandon the, the authorized version of the Bible because they cannot justify their heresy uh, from the pure Word of God. We'll see some of that tonight. So uh, some of those would be the, you know what, Um, did you guys get, hang on, this doesn't, okay, this is the right, I was just making sure this is the right, I I know I didn't touch on all of this last time, so some of this stuff you guys did not get, because I was skipping over it, so, um, and that is, I didn't get, I just mentioned these quickly uh, last time, but the Jehovah Witnesses uh, and the Book of Mormon, the Koran, the Vedas and uh, the Bhagavad Gita's of uh, Hinduism and, of course, Buddhism, and then the philosophers. All that Eastern uh, stuff and New Age movement uh, comes from, um, you know, the departure from the Word of God. Now, even though there's some that have a Bible, all of those have, not all of them, but, well, all of those, but probably the New Age movement uh, would appeal to a book of some sort of sacred writing. The philosophers, of course, themselves are the sacred writers. And the New Age movement, It's um, there's actually writings that guide the New Age movement as well. Um, it's very subtle. There was a thing, just kind of take a little com- a little break here and kind of do a rabbit trail. Uh, there was a, I came and did a session a few, um, it's probably been several months ago now, just a one-night session because it came up. Uh, I did a session on... Um, the Enneagram, you guys remember that? Yeah, so that would fall under number seven um, because it's a New Age philosophy that's crept in to the church through a tool, basically. Um, and it's and I laid all that out. You can go back in the archives and listen to all that. Um, it's not <clears throat> like if you've taken that, you're going to die and go to hell or something, not at all. But but you do need to know the origins. The origins of that is totally New Age, no doubt about it. It's It's a spiritist type of tool, so... Uh, a lot of people and a lot of Christians are okay with that. I personally would not recommend that or invite that in. Uh, so we talked about that. So that's the subtlety of some of the things that just creep in very, uh, very <clears throat> subtly. So one of the things that as we go back, and this is really all review, is we go back and we think about um, allegory um, uh, and the word of God being attacked. Basically, God just saying, look, or not God, the devil, tell, the attack that Satan brings is that the Bible really isn't true. And so going all the way back to, uh, you know, the time of Christ, that's 
uh, of course, starting with Satan in the garden, then you fast forward 4,000 years and, and Jesus Christ and his public ministry, uh, we have, you know, ultimately Satan is going to try to corrupt the word of God. And one of the ways he did that uh, was the Hellenistic uh, mindset of the Greeks, which goes back to the paganism I was talking about just a couple last time we met. Um, <clears throat> and those do tie together. And so the allegorical you know, method of interpretation ends up becoming very popular, uh, even in the first century, and then later on it's revised in the 19, early 1900s. Uh, and so a literal view of the Bible is, is now considered to be too narrow, which is always going to lead you astray if you don't take God's word literally until you can't. So <clears throat> I like this little saying. It says, allegory is what you, you say your story, what, I'm sorry, what you say your story really means after someone else tells you what they think it really means. So, um, so of course, uh, the Bible is not allegory. And when this comes to creation uh, today, uh, you can see, and I'm going, this is going to tie me back into where I was last time, and this overarching paganism that's, that's creeping over the planet. Um, <clears throat> it really gets you into a, a, re, a place where when the Bible is not authoritative, then who becomes the authority usually becomes a man or some series of men, experts uh, of some sort. Um, and so um, <clears throat> uh, the Bible is not allegory, but uh, it's historical, not allegorical. Um, and so when it comes to the issue of creation, you guys know who that guy is, Bill Nye, the science guy? He's not really a scientist. He's an engineer, by the way. But he's a really good, you know, like uh, – personality uh, he's nice and combative and has he's really got a lot of quips and all that kind of stuff so he's 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 an energetic uh, atheist and so uh and he's always you know my kids used to watch him when they were little and every you know he's very popular in mainstream uh you know children's mini- or ministry not ministry but children's uh programming uh and so so you guys some of you don't really know who this guy is do you so bill nye the science guy uh I bet, do you know who Bill Nye is, Jackson, in the back? Oh, yeah. So if you're probably under 30 years old, uh, yeah, I mean, did you watch him when you were young? Yeah, yeah, and you're, yeah, so, yeah, Bill Nye's been around a while. He's not that young looking anymore. So, uh, yeah, so Bill Nye has done a lot to kind of, you know, if you believe the Bible, you're an idiot. You know, that's basically his general, his general mindset, Um so if you believe in uh, an old earth, or they go with an old earth, we go with a, a young earth, um, you know, creationism is a myth with no scientific merit. This is what Bill Nye, the science guy, is going to tell you. Um, and so the Bible's wrong. Creationism is dangerous to children. He's going to tell you that. Uh, I've heard him say that myself. Creationism hinders the advancement of science. He thinks that's true as well. These are his positions. Uh, creationism is supported by people who believe God has given them uh, the Bible in English. Interestingly, I've heard him make that particular statement, Bible in English, which is an interesting thing, and it's true. Um, so now how old the earth is before Satan falls, nobody knows. So that's something that uh, you know is not talked about in these circles. And even the guy that he debated, who's that guy, Ken Ham? Uh, Ken, Ham Ken Ham didn't even address that with Bill Nye. And if he would have, you know, he wouldn't have known what to do with it because, you know, that would, that kind of blows all of that out of the water. And if you're like, what are you talking about? Take discipleship too. We get into all of that in D2. But anyway, um, <clears throat> follow Satan, how old the earth is, 
and being God, you know, being fruitful, multiply, replenishing, and all of that in Genesis chapter 1. Seven literal days of, of the creation there in the account in Genesis chapter 1. And then we go forward in human history, which has been about 4,000 years. All right, so, or not 4,000 years. Today it's about 6,000 years, but it was 4,000 years from the, the creation to uh, Jesus. And then we're, on our, we're working on not quite 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross, but we're getting closer uh, to that, literally, because he died in about 30 A.D. And so that would put us at, uh, you know, 2030 would be getting us there at, at uh, 2,000 years. So, and yes, so that means he was born about between 3 to 4 B.C., so it depends. Different people mark it, but I think 3 BC is where it's marked by uh, Usher's chronology, which is a pretty detailed and accurate account. Okay, so 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 they want you to say, look, your Bible is an allegory. You can't take it. It's, it's not meant for science. And I have talked with people, you know, in, in circles of people I know that would even say that. And I'm like, no. Uh, now I'm not saying it's a science book, but over time. It does seem like the Bible's always accurate, and it ends up being like, well, yeah, the Bible is ahead of the curve on all that. Yeah, actually, the Enlightenment that came, <clears throat> uh, depending on your perspective on human history. So when you go back to the, the Age of Enlightenment or the Renaissance, depending on where you're coming from, um, that came because of, if you think about it, Newton and all those dudes, what was accessible to them was this Bible. The Bible, well, not maybe the English Bible, but the Bible was available to them because of the printing press uh, began began to get the truth out, and so you could find out that the world is round just by look, reading in the Bible. That's actually in the Bible, not that it was flat. And so stuff like that's in the Word of God. <clears throat> so, um, so the United States is the leader in, in propagating the falsehood, falsehood concerning God and creation. Um, the Catholic Church is uh, is okay; they're off the hook because they also support evolution. Um, and society should eliminate intelligent design as a reasonable scientific argument for creation. So these are things that are just contemporary arguments in our um, in our world today. Um, but we would say it's historical and not allegorical. Um, scientists and, and, and old earth, um, the electron microscope has destroyed the simple cell evolutionary theory. And so the whole concept that everything is, is billions and billions and billions of years old um, is just not feasible anymore. And again, I've touched on all this in weeks past. Um, so, and that's been in my lifetime. So when I was in high school, they were still teaching simple cell <clears throat> um, models, you know. And uh, by the time, and that's when the electron microscope came out. So it took a few years for the data to come out. But within, you know, ten years, it was it was just manifestly evident that. There was no way in the world that any of this, anything, is just accidentally evolved from a lightning bolt that hit a hit a puddle, and then all of a sudden this order came out of all this chaos. It just it just does not make sense, and it's not even found in the creation itself because you drive. It is very well known among scientists that drill down into um, microbiology that it's programmed. I mean, even DNA itself is is an evidence of that, which we all talk about, you know, nowadays routinely. We all just like that's on the top of our mind. What we saw with the mRNA technology—that's programming DNA. I mean, that's all that is—is is using what God's already put in creation to uh, manipulate things uh, in, in creation. And so, <clears throat> and so that's that kind of stuff. So that's where intelligent design has come in. They weren't going to say God many times. They won't say God, but they will say, well, there's obviously an intelligent design. 
so that's kind of gotten blown away. <clears throat> um, when you get into the um, the record there, and then so you look at the the details of that, and then you go to the Hubble telescope. And that's the macro, and you get out into the universe, and you find out that you know it's not mathematically possible, plausible uh, for all of this to, to be the way it is without, um, <clears throat> without again an intelligent design. There was a there was a uh, scientist, and his name's escaping me, in uh, in Spain. He wasn't a Christian either; he was an atheist. He just did the math based on all the knowledge that he had of the universe uh, from telescopes and all the things that he studied and he's not the only one there's a, actually I've, stu- I've there's whole websites and and uh, youtube channels you can see this stuff and it's not based out of christianity these are just scientists that will just say hey look i mean mathematically this is not possible i mean this is not a uh, they cannot just the mathematical odds of all of this happening the earth being in its rotation being this far from the sun, life existing. I mean, it just, it is just not mathematically going to happen out of chaos. It just is not. So there has to be some force holding it all together. And of course, Bob, you've studied the stars forever. You probably heard those same things, but so that's just on a, <clears throat> that's on a creation level, scientific level. But the Bible doesn't leave room for an evolution account. Um, and we talked about that, the, you know, how there is a creation and a creator and the fall of Satan. I didn't take a lot of time on a lot of the stuff I just talked to you about, but um, <clears throat> when we get into our doctrinal statement, we talk about who God is. Um, this is actually ties into uh, God, and then he is the creator, Genesis chapter 1. And right off the bat, that's being undermined everywhere you turn in contemporary culture. And so you say, well, well I thought this was comparative religion. I'm getting to that because there is a religion today, and it, and it is undermine your Bible. Whether it's humanism, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, it is to undermine the truth of God's word. So creation, uh, the creator, and the fall of Satan. We talked about all that. I'm not going to get into all that in any more detail. But we talked about how he, <clears throat> you know, all the heresy starts with him. Um, and so, uh, and then uh, the Bible doesn't leave room for an evolution account. Uh, it's very clear in the Bible that God created the the heaven and the earth, and the earth was out form of void, and earth was upon the face of the deep. And then the seven-day creation account, and it's very clear, seven literal 24-hour period, it's 24-hour days, and the, and the earth rested on the seventh day. And, and we go on from there, Adam and Eve, of course, being created and uh, then being attacked by the devil. All right, so examples of groups that, that get all of this wrong, and this is also why I brought all that up and I'm just running over it is when you get into a lot of the cults and false religions, it is this ish, this real issue of creation and what the Bible says where they get off, off course. So the Mormons will tell you that, that uh, Jesus is, Lucifer is the brother of Jesus Christ. That's not in the Bible at all. It's not biblical. Um, and they, then they would take that into their eschatology. You go all the way to their end times account, and now we become gods and, uh, and our celestial wives, and we get to repopulate. I mean, it's just... It's kind of like a Star Wars account. I mean, really, when you step back and look at their uh, their theology, uh, it's really it's really kind of weird. Um, and so we're like fallen angels, and we're all repossessing our future inheritance, and it's yeah, whatever. And so then you get the Jehovah Witnesses. <clears throat> um, of course, they wrote a new Bible because they had to get away from the, the, the King James Bible, uh, and that attacks the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. That's the primary thing, the primary acts that the Jehovah Witnesses grind, that Jesus Christ is not God. He's, he's, a, he's, a lesser, he's lesser than God. 
uh, <clears throat> we had the emergent church. That's now old and ran its course already. Um, uh, the Eastern religions, um, which I've also talked to you guys about, uh, a lot of this paganism is really falls in under that, the, mis- the, uh, the, uh, the worship of the earth. Uh, and all of that often falls under these Eastern religions, and we talked about um, some of that a few weeks ago. So I'm going to keep moving. All right, and then some of these key doctrines, the Godhead is always attacked, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Um, <clears throat> the word Godhead is found three times in the Scripture, which I, I'll give you right there. The word Trinity is not. So if like there's a couple of words if you're ever looking for in the Bible we use a lot, like rapture. Uh, that's not in the Bible. It comes from a, uh, the word caught up. Uh, is translated in Latin as rapturo. That's where the word rapture comes from. So it's from the phrase that we have in First Thessalonians that says caught up. Um, and so another one is Trinity. The word Trinity isn't found in the Bible either, but the word Godhead is. <clears throat> and it's in reference to uh, these three being one. God the Father, God is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That's what the Word of God says. So the deity of Christ is the number one thing that false religious systems and heretical systems love to attack. Which is why in our in our uh, when we do a doctrinal statement, we will make sure that's clear. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the Trinity, the Godhead. I use the word Godhead because it's biblical. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not opposed to Trinity. It's another way of saying Godhead. But <clears throat> but that is uh, under attack. So when you go back to that other slide, uh, the Mormons attack uh, the Trinity, the Godhead, uh, because they will say that Jesus is the brother of lucifer um and then uh the jehovah witnesses attack the godhead because jesus christ is not god uh and then as most of those uh those christian uh, type of false religions will have a problem with the deity or the holy somewhere there the holy spirit jesus christ or the father um but that'll be out of whack and so um here is a list of some of those that would would have problems with the Godhead as the Bible lays it out. And so you can take a picture with your phone or whatever. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this because I'm overviewing, but <clears throat> these are, if you notice, most of these come, not all, but mo- most of these come from the West, uh, and, and some of them come from the United States. And most of these, if you look at the dates on all those, you, you notice they come on the end of the Philadelphian period. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Now, a lot of the roots for, for a lot of heretical movements have been around, you know, forever, but <clears throat> and the thoughts. But um, but when you look at, you know, the manifestation as we know them today, um, these are some of the these, most of these started in the 1800s, you know, toward the end of that Philadelphian church age. And so, um, you know, and as a, as a really a combat against the, the word of God and the truth of God's word. And so in the Laodicean church age, these things really are on fire. Um, <clears throat> you have, uh, and you'll notice like Kant in, in, uh, down there in 1800, trans- transcendentalism, that became very popular. I used to practice that when, before I was saved, and there's a good way to get demon-possessed right there. You know, doing remote viewing, stuff like that, is, it's wicked and demonic. I promise you that. You don't want to do that. So that kind of stuff, that trans- transcendentalism and stuff like that is just, it's just, Eastern religion, you know, um, and 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 there's a, there's they study it as a science today. The United States military has tried to employ some of those things, and uh, I'm just telling you guys, there's movies out. There was some movie with uh, one of the Bridges brothers was in it when they were talking. That's what it was about, uh, and and so you just you just really, 
it's amazing how these things have taken shape. And as they, with the advent of even uh, drugs, you know, uh, lysergic acid dethylamide, which is LSD, uh, they even get a little bit further into some of this stuff, trying to figure out what's going on in this spiritual realm here and how can we use that to our advantage. Uh, this has nothing to do with, with the Bible, but man searching for answers outside of the Bible leads you to some very dark places. And a lot of those seeds, as you can see, were planted in these religious uh, and or uh, spiritual movements in some cases. Some of them really weren't so religious as they were just spiritual. So you got to be careful with some of the spirituality. Like the New Age movement has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, they'll claim Jesus, uh, but they definitely, they also have a Messiah, the Lord God Mietra, which is the, the, the coming, as they would say, of, the, of their Messiah, which will be the Antichrist. But um, so they've, they've, a lot of them do have a second coming kind of prophecy, even the New Age movement. A lot of people don't know that. And I also uh, just kind of, you know, Mormons, I just had the privilege, and you know, forgive me if you're my relatives that are Mormons. I I love Mormons. I grew up in Mormon land and independence. Uh, you know, I don't have an issue. I got really close Mormon friends, actually. Uh, it's not personal for me. I, I mean, this I'm a preacher. I got to say the truth. I love people that are Mormons. I you know, my relatives are Mormons, so okay. Um, but at the end of the day, the Bible's a Bible. Let God be true, and every man a liar. And uh, and so. We, Amy and I had a chance to go up to uh, up there where uh, he got the Joseph Smith got the tablets when we were up in Jackson, uh, Pennsylvania, just north, you know, 20 miles from there is is the I forget. Do you remember the name of that place now? It's escaped me. I should know it. But anyway, uh, you know, and then they believe that Joe Smith, you know, met in the woods and Moroni gave him these tablets. And of course, which no one can ever find. And that's where the Book of Mormon comes from. Uh, and, and along with all the other craziness there. Uh, and, of course, Joseph Smith went one way and Brigham Young went the other. And, and you know, there's different prophecies over Independence, Missouri, blah, blah, blah. And so there's all of that. There's JWs, uh, which are primarily based out of the theology of whatever the Watchtower Society in New Jersey publishes. Um, that is, um, that's the gospel. Uh, and you have no luxury of studying the Bible outside of that. If you're a Jehovah Witness, so a Jehovah's Witness, and so again, uh, Cass County is pretty full of those guys, um, and they ended up leaving the the King James Bible for the New World Translation, uh, which is bona fidely a bad translation, but it helps suits their purposes. Uh, but Christian Science came along in the United States. The Moonies came out of Korea. Um, they are uh, there's a thing called the Universal Peace Federation in the United Nations. How many of you have heard of the Universal Peace Federation? Just a, yeah, not very many people, Hand a handful of you. That, if you look it up online, you can do your own research. This isn't hidden at all. So there's a wing of the United Nations called the Universal Peace Federation, and it was headed up by uh, Reverend Sun Yun Moon. And it's an, ecum- it's an ec- uh, ecumenical uh, movement uh, to bring all the world religions together to help advance the causes of the United Nations, uh, which gets us back to environmentalism and all those other things. So it's a religious movement being used to do that. Now, uh, the Reverend Moon died, and his son is not on board uh, with that movement. So I don't know who's running it now. I I quit watching it very close. Um, But I'm still on their email list. They'll send me their stuff. I'll keep updates on what's going on and all that. But fascinating, fascinating stuff. So the Moonies aren't just something in the 70s at a big stadium where a bunch of people are getting married. Uh, A lot of people don't know that, that the Reverend Moon moved his way right on into uh power 
with the United Nations, and they were helping support his religious movement. It's crazy. Uh, if I if I didn't know it to be true, I would sound like craziness. But it is, and it's not talked about. I don't. I mean, not even among Christians. I didn't learn that stuff from reading a book. I just studied it on. Just go online and look at it. It's like, wow, there it is. Uh, and so, you have Scientology. Um, which you guys have heard a lot about that lately. You know, that's a bunch of science fiction books that went <laughs> wild. And, you know, you got these evangelists like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Tom. Huh? Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Leading that guy for all he's worth um, and all of that. So Leah Remy's made a dent in that movement. Um, you got the, the Children of God, uh, Unitarian Universalist, which started in England, actually. I touched on Transcendentalism, United School of Christianity, Worldwide Church of God, Armstrong. That was a big thing back in the, like the 70s and 80s. That's already kind of ran its course. And there's a little remnant of it uh, called the Philadelphian Movement or whatever. The rest of the story, is that what they're called? Oh. Oh, is that the, is that, okay. Yeah, Garner Ted Armstrong, yep. There's um, the Way International uh, Church of Universal and Triumphant, the Holy Order of Mance. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, the Theosophical Society, that's something I, I do want to just take a moment. Uh, that is a very interesting study. You can find it, uh, information about it in one of uh, Hank Hanegraaff's. Uh, is it Hank Hanegraaff that had the Kingdom of the Cults? Yeah, there's a couple different versions of Kingdom of the Cults. I think you have to go to the older version of Kingdom of the Cults, uh, and there's a fascinating uh, you know, you can get a bibliography there, and you can look that up. These guys are really real. The Theosophical Society—they're um, really real. They're all real. But these guys have a lot of power today, uh, and uh, all your major, major players of power—not um, all, but many of them—are members of Theosophical Society. They're not interested in evangelizing, by the way. They're not—they're not out uh, trying to build that cult, so to speak. They—they've got that nailed down for elite people. So if you happen to be an elitist or you maybe like a – those type of people are going to try to recruit the next um, – uh, or place the next um, Supreme Court justice or, uh, you know, they may go talk to someone like uh, – who's that guy? Elon Musk. You know, you know people that have great influence. Theosophical Society uh, are, is all over that. Um, <clears throat> and so they have a plan. Uh and I call it modern pagan Gnosticism. Uh, they sit in places of power and try to manipulate society from the top down. And they do a very, a very good job, I would say. All right, so then you got the big cults uh, or false religions like Islam. Um, again, talking about the deity, you got a guy like this. If you just look at the historical nature of Muhammad, uh, very similar to Joseph Smith, he comes out and um, he <clears throat> has another gospel. Um, at first, he's friendly with the Jews. He takes the Jewish God. Um, now, think about this, too. He's 600 years after Jesus. So Muhammad is post-Jesus. So Jesus is a prophet. So that's where you get back to the Godhead. He's not God. He's a prophet and no more than that. And so uh, he's a prophet in Islam, not the creator. And I touched on some of that a few weeks ago, so I don't want to get too far afoot. Uh, but that's as far as they go. So it's not like they ignore Jesus. They just don't elevate Jesus to the, the, the status that he deserves uh, to be and is, sitting at the right hand of the Father at this point. And so, <clears throat> but just as you saw, if you go back and look historically, um, 
it's interesting how, um, you know, Muhammad, who also was a pedophile, um, he ends up, you know, starting off being friendly, ingratiating himself, pro, pro-Jewish. And then as he gains power, momentum, he becomes more authoritarian, uh, more of a uh, marauder, more of a, um, a uh, kingdom of heaven type of guy taking over property. And my way or the highway at the end of a sword, and then that starts by the time you get to the, the end of his life, that's, that leaves you with what we have today is radical Islam, which is we're taken over at the point of a sword. But, there are a lot of, but in Islam, some, some sects of Islam actually still use that process. They come in peacefully, and they use Sharia law, and then eventually if you don't go along, you're done. And so that's all interesting as well. Um, and so Islam, it's wrong. And, and and you're not allowed to say that. It used to be that was just a known fact, and now it's like you can't say that. Well, no, I can. It is true. Uh, again, and you, the bottom fundamental reason is false. Well, there's a lot of reasons it's false. Um, they got another book, just like the Book of Mormons. It's another gospel. Um, but at the end of the day, it, they say that it supports Jesus. Uh, it doesn't. Jesus Christ is not God, First John 5, 7. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ is you know, these three are one, right? So uh, they are way off on that. So when you miss who God is and you miss the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it really sets you off on a tangent. And so it's really had quite an influence. Dealing with the Godhead, it's equal in every divine perfection and execute uh, and execute distinct and harmonious offices in a great work of redemption. That is a definition that we use. Uh, I'm not going to take time to rehearse all that for time's sake. Um, so the Godhead's active in creation. Um, there's only one God. Uh, there's not multiple God. Um, and so some other false teachings would be, as I've mentioned, Christian science, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, Latter-day Saints, the New Age movement. I started off with those. All right. So that gets us. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to talk about that if I can get to it in the time we got. So again, this is review. Last week, I, I took a lot of time and talk or two weeks ago when three weeks ago, whenever it was, I was up here three weeks ago now. And I talked a lot about Babylon, right? And I led you through uh, how the Babylonian religion transferred its seat of power to what city? Rome, right? Okay. So we talked about all that. This is literally the, the, uh, when it talks about the seat and synagogue of Satan, uh, this is the seat that was in uh, Pergamos, um, that uh, the Pontifus Maximus, which was around long before the Roman Catholic Church, uh, would sit on. There's a replica that's in Germany of of that, uh, and uh, so you can see that's what it looked like. I got it in a museum, and I talked to you about the the Regia, which is where the College of Pon- uh, Cardinals met, and the Pontiff, which is the chief bridge, bridge builder, um, and that was all pagan. It had nothing to do with Christianity. All that existed before. Constantine in 365, and so, um, and so, and before there was even a pope. So that's, and by the way, there wasn't a pope until uh, long after. It's probably 400. I forget the date. I, I think I mentioned it last time. 400 and something before there was actually a, a, a pope or a bishop that would be considered a pope. And there's actually different um, renditions of who was the first pope because it kind of developed. It wasn't something that was. Peter was not the first pope. That's just completely false. Um, and, and so uh, that pagan system got brought into Christianity. Much marriage, we talked about that. When you go through church history, you find that that's when, uh, you know, the Babylonian religion 
that pagan system got married into uh, what became known as the Catholic Church. So uh, we talked about all of that last time, and I, I won't uh, much marriage and all of those issues. Uh, one of the things I skipped was the two bridles from Job 41.13. We ran out of time on that. But one of the things that you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter uh, 41. I don't remember. I don't think we covered this. Um, <clears throat> Job chapter 41 and verse 13. So my review is kind of over, and I'm going to jump in where we left off last time. And forgive me, uh, you know, for just flying over so much stuff. But the whole, whole idea of this this shorter session is just to kind of give an update and an overview. Uh, we're scheduled to do this in like 10 weeks, uh, once every seven years. So uh, Job, and, and by the way, also in my introduction, I told you guys, I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time uh, here at Heartland one of the things that I'm uncomfortable with after doing this is really spending too much time on false religions and what they believe. Because if you just study the truth, you can sort out these other things. So really, if you want to study that, you can. Yes, sir. That is true. Everything is a moving target to some degree. So Ron was saying that yeah, some of, if you're listening online, Ron was saying some of this stuff changes so much, you gotta you gotta keep updating all the time, which is true. It, it is there's a lot of moving targets with some of these these movements. Um, so one of the things that the Bible says here, I'll start in verse 12. Actually, um, it says, and again, context is everything. Verse 41: Can thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, uh, or his tongue with a cord, uh, which thou lettest down? Uh, canst thou put a hook into his nose, bore his jaw through with a thorn? So when you look at this beast, this creature that he's talking about, it, uh, Leviathan is a, a type of, uh, obviously, uh, not a human, but this creature, uh, that, that we, you know, we would call Satan. As you go through here, you see a lot of attributes of this angel of light, um, with his scales of pride. And so, um, uh, just look at verse seven. Canst thou skill, can, canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who is a, who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. Who can discover the face of his garment and come unto him uh, with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are, are terrible uh, round about. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that air cannot uh, come between them. They are joined one uh, another they stick together. They cannot be sundered. Uh, by his kneesings, a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Bright morning star. Uh, <clears throat> out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostril go a smoke, and out, and out as, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, a flame goeth out of his mouth. Uh, his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. And so he's a manipulator of emotions. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. 
Uh, his heart is firm as stone. Yeah, his heart is a piece of nether millstone. So I'm going to stop there because you can just keep going. Uh, verse 34 says, He beholdeth all high things. He is the king over all the children of pride. That's that's an important conclusion to this matter. He's the king over all the children of pride. So he's talking about a creature, a beast. Perhaps it's some prehistoric beast or what have you. But at the end of the day, uh, for we understand it's a type of Satan. And one of the things I would point out is he's got these two bridles. And so... Um, uh, one of the two things that Satan is 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 all about is, uh, and you see this um, in the in the uh, <clears throat> the kingdom of well, you see it in the church history, but you can see it all the way through the Bible. Once you see this, it's like wow, the whole world opens up. He's got two ways that he likes to operate, and this really does go back to an understanding of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But I'll di- I digress. Politics and religion, right? He's an angel of light. He likes, you know, be not deceived, right? Because he acts like an angel of light. Uh, he can manipulate the emotions and all of those things, right? We talk about the end times Antichrist, Second Thessalonians chapter 4 or chapter 2, right? There's going to be people so beguiled by him, they won't even, if even the very elect would be deceived. I mean, it's just, he has, he's very influential. So he's got two bridles, religion and politics, Right? He's the king over all the children of pride. So when we get and we looked last time, we were in Revelation 17, and we saw how when he usher, in the end times, as he ushers himself into power, is ushered into power, he has a religious system. His bride is a is a harlot, which we laid that out with Babylonian religion, and how she brings him into power. But what's he also doing? He's making friendships with these kings, right? And they end up killing his bride. So it's the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus Christ came to this earth, and the powers that be killed him, or were implicit uh, part of of killing him right they were they they used the roman system along with the hebrews uh the the people stewarding the law the people and the gentile powers and dominion colluded together to see that jesus died on the cross but god obviously allowed that so that he could be the sacrifice for our sin so ultimately god god knew what was going to go on and he allowed it to happen uh but you have religion and power that's how jesus died wasn't it a roman power and a religious system came together to crucify jesus Two bridles. And so um, so that's an interesting thing. A few years ago, this happened about 20 years ago, um, there, was a, there was a movement by um, many of the U.S. presidents that people don't even know about anymore. It's, it's, it's almost like wiped out. Um, I was on top of it because I was just fascinated by this conference. Um, it was in real time. Back in the day, we were just a young church, and so I was able to watch the videos and stuff. Um, and you had, um, you had those two fellows. You had... President uh, Jimmy Carter, you had Bill Clinton, you had uh, that other fellow, Al Gore, and you had these U.S. presidents trying to, to move the Baptists in the United States uh, to a position to adopt, ultimately from Jimmy Carter's perspective, uh, was to adopt the uh, U.N. Charter um, and, and, and basically promote the um, United Nations agenda, which is ultimately world government. Um, and that was clear to see back then. And I was just like, wow. Again, this wasn't on any – you didn't see it in Christianity Today. You didn't see it on the news. And, uh, and they were targeting primarily uh, inner-city Baptist churches, so a lot of missionary Baptists, a lot of African-American Baptists. And they were trying – and they had a huge conference. I think it was down in Atlanta, if I remember right. And, and I was fascinated because I'm like, wow, how many Baptist conferences do you have? Bill Clinton, uh, Jimmy Carter – Al Gore. I mean, you got you got like heads of state 
showing up to manipulate a bunch of Baptists, you know, which I, if you guys know me, I'm all against that. I'm like, you know, you guys can keep your politics out of the church. We'll keep, we'll, we'll just stick with the Bible. Thank you. Uh, and so, um, because I was also back in those days is also myself being approached by you get, when you're a pastor, a lot of people don't know this. When you're a pastor, you'll get during election cycles, especially if I still like me, I'm going to get more, they're going to assume I'm a Republican. Um, and so they'll send me like a, a, an invitation to go to Weston Crown Center, go out to St. Louis and we will, we will buy your room and we will give you a big dinner. And what's the, what's the exchange for that? Right, so they want me to come back and tell everybody who to vote for. So fundamentally, now that doesn't mean I won't vote for those folks, uh, but if you think I'm coming back to manipulate the congregation to vote for a politician, you got another thing coming. So I, I would, I, I just reject that. I don't. So just so, just to be clear, so if you're watching me on television here, uh, if you're a Republican candidate, you can talk to me in person all you want, but I am not going to promote anybody, Democrat or Republican. To my to this church it's not my church. That's why I won't do it because it's Jesus's church, and He is way up here. And I can tell you this: all the poli- the political stuff. Um, I mean, I've been around long enough. Uh, it's just wanting to manipulate. We have such a high standard, and we are not going to drop it for the the kings of this world. But that's really what that's kind of what was going on. I was, that's why I was, I was so fascinated because I'd never I still have never seen. That much emphasis, especially on Baptists, because Baptists are really not that, you know, we're not like a huge group uh, in world religions. We're a tiny little fragment, but we are influential uh, because we are kind of we're kind of lodged in the word and we won't move. Or historically we were. Uh, there's a lot of that sliding now. But at any rate, uh, that came and went. Uh, credit to a lot of those African-American pastors who uh, they saw through it. They didn't want to be part of it. They checked out on it and. Uh, Credit to them. It all, it all kind of just dilapidated around them, and I appreciate that. And so uh, the the whole thing with the two bridles, though, is ultimately where where a lot of this uh, this paganism is going. And so, and, and, you, and it's going to seem like a leap here, but let me help you with that. So you fast forward the tape a few years, and in 2003, um, uh, you have this this movement. And again, I mentioned what was the real emphasis of Jimmy Carter. He's like, you've got, and he, it is a really, you know, good sell. You, because you care about people, you have to adopt the United Nations Bill of Rights, right? Because you're, you, because you're, you know, you're a Baptist and I'm a Baptist. Jimmy Carter was a Southern Baptist. You're a Baptist, I'm a Baptist too. And so we all need to adopt the, the, the United Nations Bill of Rights. And uh, that was the big pitch back in the day. Well, what, what, did, what was that all about? Well, <clears throat> um, in 2003, Michael uh, Crichton uh, declares from an anthrop- anthropological view that environmentalism is a religion at the Commonwealth Club. This has been 20 years ago. And um, it's a collective set of beliefs. A leader or leaders who promote belief among followers uh, is what, what a religion is. Followers make a change to life or lifestyle to align with their belief system, and it provides a worldview of, mor- of, constru- of a moral construct and defines sustainability and notice that last point defines sustainability as salvation and that is still being promoted to this day it's as old it's old this is not new but it is really about uh combining state religion if you're in good governance uh then you are going to steward the earth which 
ultimately is going to come down to a big cataclysmic issue over the earth and in, in, the, in the end times. We've already talked about that last time. So, um, and I, this isn't new to anybody, but this is, I want you to see this. Can you guys hear this guy? Yeah, it's inside, it's embedded, so. Give us some audio. Tell me when we're ready. Um, I'm Daniela Benchstock. I'm also a freshman here. You stated in your remarks to the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco that one of the most powerful religions in the Western world is environmentalism. Can you explain why you refer to environmentalism as a religion? Mm. Because I have trained in anthropology, uh, the idea that anthropologists have about what constitutes a religion or what functions a religion serves are a little bit different from how you think about it if you categorize religions as, you know, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, something like that. So from the standpoint of an anthropological view, a religion is a collective set of beliefs. Um, it ha there is a leader or leaders who promote the beliefs among the followers. Followers make some kind of contribution or um, uh, change in uh, their lifestyle based on the religious belief. Uh, the religious belief gives them a total view of the world in terms of what, how the world is structured, what's right, what's wrong, what's good action, what's bad action. That all fits perfectly onto environmentalism. The other thing that environmentalism does, which I said to this group, is that it rather precisely maps a lot of Judeo-Christian beliefs about the origin of the world and so on. So that in environmental thinking, there is a view that it, there used to be a sort of Eden, and then people came and ruined that, that Eden, um, and that we are therefore sort of original sinners because we're destroying this planet. And what we can do, however, is get salvation through sustainability. And if you're a good person, you will seek salvation. And if you're a bad person, you'll drive SUVs. Um, that is a kind of a religious belief. That was my argument. It a fear you were very negative towards environmentalism. What caused you to be so prejudiced towards this religion? Mm, well, um, I don't think it should be a religion. You know, and uh, I don't know. It's interesting that you said it was prejudice. That um, it's a disagreement. I'm not sure it's a. I, I would argue it's not a prejudice. That it's a different way of seeing things. The um, what I, the core of my argument is that if you're going to be responsive to the environment, the environment is always changing, and our understanding of the environment is always changing. And if we are to be, to do better with the environment that we do now, and I would tell you that at this moment, we have raw sewage seeping out of the Yellowstone National Park. So we're not doing a great job. I mean, I, I mentioned the parks because the parks are unlike uh, land use where there's conflicts about should we build a house or should we build... The, the parks are set aside. The parks are there for us to preserve them. And it turns out we don't know how to preserve them. And we won't admit that we don't know how to preserve them. We have... It's been a disaster what we've done. And so when I look at how we treat the environment, I think we have to be flexible. 
I think we have to try things and see how they turn out. We have to be ready to change course. We have to be able to adapt. We have to say we're wrong and let's do it right. We have to do research. This is all stuff that fundamentalist religions can't do. And if, and if the envir environmentalism is a kind of fundamentalist religion, then that's not a good way to manage the environment. We need a scientific approach. We need a non-religious approach. We need a way to look at this and do better than we've done. A lot better. It's essential. It's essential for you guys and, you know, for your children. All right. So this guy's obviously not a Christian. Uh, and he doesn't have a lot of use for Bible believers, uh, you know, at least from his perspective with his uh, his job as a, in environmental uh, matters. But we already talked about the difference between being a conservationist and being an environmentalist. And it is like a religion. And so uh, where does that all that leading is to a putting the creature ahead of the creator. That's really what it does. It turns everything upside down. We're warned about that in Romans chapter one. Right. And so worshiping the creation uh, and not the creator, which leads to incredible debauchery and morality. That was 2005. That was a long time ago now. Right. And that what that guy says is it's spot on as far as the religious system. And yeah, I'm sure that guy's canceled by now. I mean, he, he, he is no longer acceptable in the scientific discussion, but he, he's reasonable because he's using true science. I mean, he, the guy was reasonable. I can get along. He didn't have to believe what I believe about the Bible, but as long as he takes the true approach towards science like he was trying to do it just is common sense is going to lead him to the right conclusion um let's test our theories let's see what works you know so on and so forth but he points out accurately that there's some other agenda here you know he can see that because he is a critical thinker truly critical thinker in the, in the best con connotation and um and you can be that too and believe the bible all right so i would disagree with him that you can't you can't have a fundamental religious belief and and, uh, and be scientific. That's actually not accurate either. As a matter of fact, there's a warning against science that is falsely so called, right? And this guy, without a Bible, is pointing out what Paul already said almost 2,000 years ago, which is beware of science falsely so called because it's leading you into a, a really uh, ultimately that pagan uh, discussion that we had last week. So I'm not going to get into all of the details of that. But before Christ came, you had these pagan religions, and uh, it got into Dagon and Baal, human sacrifice, um, uh, you know, cutting, mutilation, um, worshiping the sun god continues to this day. And uh, this is the, one of the more recent um, uh, the, in the audience hall of Rome. Uh, the artwork depicts supposedly the resurrection, but it looks an awful lot like a serpent. If, uh, and I think a lot of people are privy to that. That artwork above the platform where he speaks is, uh, and that is just, what is that? I mean, really? Um, yeah. That looks like a serpent head, the eyes, you know. That's the actual interior of, this is up close. This is where he's sitting there. I mean, it's just bizarre, you know. Um, that that's That is just insanity. And then you don't have to. I mean, it's not even a. It's not even a stretch. This is ancient sun worship, paganism. This is the the Eucharist, Canaanite versus Catholic. There's really no difference. It's the same pagan uh, system that's been imported in. All right. So, and even that is is prevalent. That's what you see here with the sundial, the pagan. And by the way, that is a phallic symbol in the middle. 
for fertility. And, and, uh, and so this is, I believe, St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome. Uh, and so it's built into the architecture. There's no accident with the architectural um, design of all of that. All right, many of you know that, so it's nothing new. So I wanted, I wanted to touch on that and just didn't take it, and I really am running out of time, so I'm going to go very quick. But And you asked about Seventh-day Adventists, so I'm going to, I'm going to touch on that here. So um, you, you have that, these, all of this, this, the devil's been working a long time, and he's actually working to an end. Um, and in the midst of this, we get this, Ameri- I call it American heresies, start popping up um, with Adventists. Now, the word Advent, what does that mean, Advent? Anybody know? Huh? Nope. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, it's close to beginning. Genesis is beginning. Advent is coming. So, uh, yeah, there's Advent calendars, which is, celebrates the coming of Christ. There's a first coming of Christ. They call it the first Advent. Second coming of Christ, second Advent. Okay, so it just means coming, you know, the arrival. And so... Um, so Adventist churches, in its, in its generic sense, um, before there was a, an Adventist church in America, there really was a lot of discussion about um, the second coming of Christ, right, and, and eschatology. And it was a lot of people were, were, you know, concerned about that as they should, as we should be. And uh, and it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't, you know, all just craziness. <clears throat> I got to get to. I've been I've been doing all this off the top of my head here. So let me get to my some of my details. So Adventists, yeah, they, it uh, focuses on the second coming of Christ, and, and of course that word means a coming. And there's nothing wrong with fo- focusing on the second coming of Christ, or the uh, you know because that's that's great. But the misapplication of Bible study principles often leads and has led millions into another works-based solution for salvation, which is ultimately what happens in a lot of this Adventist, Adventist religions, which started here in the West or in the United States. Um, and so the origin, the origin of the movement, like the Christian church called the Campbellites, uh, the Adventists originally found their roots with the Millerites. Uh, and uh, a man named William Miller, born in the United States in 1782, was known as the leader of the Adventist movement until 1844 when uh, Miller died. And so, uh, I'm sorry, he died in, uh, in 1849, I should say, rather. So the, the movement um, started in 44, and he died in 49. So a short live, you know, five years, pretty short term there for Miller. So I don't know much about William Miller. Um, you know, he was trying to figure things out. So he took a, a view of some things that were, you know, he probably wasn't square on, and then people ran with him. So William Miller, along with many other Bible students, were very interested in the end times of Daniel and Revelation, as we all are. And at that time in history, both Europeans and those in North America were discovering, kind of rediscovering uh, dispensational theology, dispensational, which Steve taught just like last week, uh, you know, how to rightly divide the word and how the dispensations lay out. Um, they were, you know, working through all of that, their Bible in English. You know, 17, think about it, 1780s, that was just a little, you know, a little over 100 years after you got a King James Bible. So, uh, the English Bible wasn't that was still relatively new, um, as far as the King James Bible is concerned. Anyway, then it had only been you know a few hundred years since there was a Bible in English. So you go back to you know 1200, and not you didn't have access to it until after 1600. So 1700, the Bible was just getting out where people could read it themselves. 
um, an average person could be educated to read it themselves. You know, so that was there was a lot of people that were learning to read and and understand uh, themselves what the Bible had to say. So you got to give people some grace, by the way, trying to figure this stuff out because they don't they haven't had access to the things that we take for granted today. Um, and so uh, so there wasn't nothing wrong. They're trying to figure this stuff out and set a time. This is the problem, though. You you don't set a time on the second coming. Uh, Miller joined a Baptist church himself in 1816, so um, he had a Baptist background. So while in First Thessalonians 5, 1 and while First Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 permits us to understand the times and the seasons, we know that the day or the hour is off limits. So while uh, while William Miller was likely a sincere Bible student, one of the key components he missed in studying his end time prediction is the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And for Miller and many others at the time, there was that bleed over between the 144,000 Jewish virgins who attended the marriage of the Lamb and the Bride of Christ, which is composed of those who have been born again. And you'll still see a lot of that confusion. Uh, like if you go up to IHOP, I've been up some of the books that, that Bickle up the street, up the highway will write, uh, will conflate the 144,000. He'll say us at IHOP or the 144,000. So on and so forth. That's just not true. It's biblically wrong. Those are a hundred, just like that. It's a literal view of the Bible. Hundred and forty-four thousand Hebrew Jews. You know. So, um, anyhow, I, and now I may have I may have misstated that. I think maybe he thinks they're going to help bring those hundred forty-four thousand in. So, if I did, forgive me. That could be a wrong. But I know he ties he conflates what they're doing with the hundred forty-four thousand. So, anyway, so there was a great disappointment, which is is really. A big part of how the Adventist movement came, William Miller's movement drew members from Methodist churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, Congregationalist churches, and other um, Bible-based churches during that period, leading them into a splintering movement. And Miller believed that the sanctuary mentioned in Daniel Daniel 8.14 is the earth um, or the church. And that would be a problem since we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, uh, and though we individually we are purged by... uh, uh, we can be purged by fire. The tribulation period referred to in Daniel 8.14 does not reference God's work in the church, but the restoration of his people Israel and the literal, literal purification of his seat and power in Jerusalem at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Matthew 24.13 teaches that, uh, that those who are alive into the coming of Christ who, ha- who endure to the end will be saved. So we know that there are, they are saved by the blood of Christ by grace through faith, that we are saved, I'm sorry, by the blood of Christ through uh, grace through faith, according to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So after the rapture of the church, people are saved. Uh, they endure the end and be saved, or they get their heads chopped off for not taking the mark, and, and God will save them. But it's a different dispensation. God is an Old Testament dispensation. It goes back to that, that dispensation. So Miller set a window of March 21st, 1843, is where all that goes to this. And March 21st, 1844, uh, for the return of Christ. So he sets this window and uh, just... Um, and so just like many cult leaders who follow, Miller, Miller finds himself with a prediction that's wrong. Like, Jesus is coming, and then he's not. So everybody's like, oh, wah, 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 you know. So many had sold their possessions, and they were ready. I mean, they were really, like, ready. And I get it. When I was first saved, I was so rapture ready, and I, and I should still be rapture ready because any day or hour. But I'm, like, literally on the football field in a football game or in high school. See, I'm varsity football game, the whole thing. And our lights went. They just built this new stadium at Fort Osage, and and we had these new lights. And something happened at some trip, some breaker trips, you know, and all the lights go out at the stadium. 
And I got this guy in the huddle. I'm like, I think the rapture's happening, you know. And I'm like, I'm serious. I think this is the rapture. But there's nothing in the Bible that says the lights are going to go out. You know, I don't know where that. It just was my emotions. I was just all fired up, ready for the rapture. So, uh, which we should be ready for the rapture at any moment. So, uh, but you know, these people were all in, and they really were like, oh, you know, Miller studied this out. You know, I see it, and well, they saw it wrong, and uh, they were very disappointed. Um, and so. Uh, it's very similar to the, the origins of the Jehovah Witnesses. Rutherford and those guys would predict the second coming, and then it like, didn't happen. And they're like, well, that was spiritual. It wasn't physical. You know, they changed their story to, you know, and, and guys, no, just don't, don't do that because the Bible tells us we don't know the day or the hour. We know it's coming soon, especially now because we do see prophecy. We see Israel as a nation. There's all kinds of indications that Jesus is coming soon, and we should be ready. Okay, so I'm not minimizing that at all. But I'm, if I say, if you guys hear me say, you know what, Jesus is coming, based on the Passover feast and based on the Pentecost, I think Jesus is coming. Let me think here. Okay, it's going to be September 27th or whatever. It's going to be April. The, it's going to be, you know, May such and such. Jesus is coming back. Yeah, you guys all need to say, Brian, we're going to have a, you know, get the pastor team together. and Everybody needs to get rid of me because something's not right with that. So we don't know the day of the hour. Um, but a second coming date of October 22nd, 1844 was established, uh, and that also was a bust. So it's like, oh, no. And so, uh, so you think that they would have been, that had been the end of the madness, but no. From that arose the major Advent churches, and, and uh, of that three, one remains, which is a powerful force to this day, and is still misguiding souls, which is the one you asked about, which is the Adventists. And so let me just quickly run through. You got the Adventist Church, the Church of God General Conference, Seventh Day Adventist, which is very the Seventh Day Adventists are very popular this day. Um, and I wanted to touch on Charismatics and Pentecostals, and uh, I don't want to take a lot of time on the non-Bible cults. We've already touched on those. So quickly, the Seventh Day Adventists were formed from the Millers' disappointment. Initial leaders were James and uh, James White and uh, Ellen Harmon White and Hiram Edson, Frederick Wheeler and S. W. Rhodes, based on Revelation 14. And verse uh, 20, uh, 12 through 20, uh, I'm going to skip ahead to that. Just quickly, I'll read that. He says, here's the patience of the saints, which we're not talking about church-age saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. <clears throat> I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow and, I, and, by, and by the way, praise God for that. He's talking about tribulation saints. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud upon the, uh, upon the cloud, one sat like a son, the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust thy sickle in, and reap, for the time has come to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, can't miss that, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry unto him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. He's talking there about the Jews, not everybody else. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden Without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto horses' bridles, by the space of six thousand six hundred furlong. Okay, so um, that is a 
that's a that's that's not the verse you want to base your doctrine on for the the church. It's number one. It's in the book of Revelation, dealing with the nation of Israel. So it's basic Bible study uh, problems that, that arose from that. And these are some of the founders, as I mentioned, James White, Ellen Harmon White, uh, Iron Edson, Frederick Wheeler, and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, the Battle Creek, Michigan location is where they started, and the Seventh-day Adventist Publishing Association was born in 1860. They adopted the name of, Southern, of the Seventh-day Adventist. So Miller had been dead, you know, for a decade. Um, and in 1903, the headquarters moved to Washington, Washington D.C. Today... They have, uh, you know, 594 medical units, uh, over 900 colleges, uh, over 4,500 elementary schools, a weekly radio of, of uh, attendance or addresses of over 1,500, supposedly 800,000 Bible students in correspondence schools, um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of money involved in it too. So without getting too further much into that, there's a lot of, I was wanting to point out a lot of their different uh, heresies and stuff. Uh, their major heresies are that uh, is the remnant and its mission. Uh, they literally believe that. Um, <clears throat> let me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This pretty pretty deep says. I got okay. So. Um, they believe that the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, I gotta I gotta go fast here. So if you take this prophecy, Revelation fourteen nine through thirteen, uh, there's several heresies that get propagated. The cleansing of, of the ancient Hebrew sanctuary on the Day of Atonement is is uh, in a typical service. The sanctuary was cleansed with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the heavenly things are purified with perfect sacrifice of the blood of Christ, the, and that's what they would teach. The the uh, investigative judgment reveals the heavenly intelligence among uh, whom uh, among the dead are asleep in Christ and therefore in him are deemed worthy to have part in the first resurrection. It also makes manifest who among the living are abiding in Christ, keeping the commandments of God of the faith of Jesus and him therefore are ready for translation into his everlasting kingdom. This judgment vindicates the justice of God, saving those who believe in Jesus. It declares that those who have remained loyal to God uh, shall receive the kingdom. Uh, the completion of the ministry of Christ will mark the close of human probation before the second advent. So this is all, everything that is, I just read is make-believe. Uh, it's based on Hebrews and uh, Daniel and Numbers and Revelation, but none of it is dealing with the church. And the movement of God is simply uh, in his temple and is stretched out over the, uh, it's not stretched out over the context and based, this is, I'm sorry, this movement of God is, uh, in his that is being referred to is in his temple literally and is not stretched out over the context um, of you know thousands of years and all Christians that are being redeemed uh, and being brought to Christ it has nothing to do with believers in 1860 so they're taking a, a like a, a passage or two of scripture and just somehow conflating all their soteriology to this and it doesn't make any like biblical sense but it doesn't end there uh, when it gets to the end times in the millennium um, which I think I have up here at the end, uh, they believe that Satan and his angels occupy the earth until the end of the millennium, which is like 180 degrees opposite of what the Bible teaches. Um, and you can look that up in their own teachings. Um, it's the, you know, the millennium is a thousand-year reign of Christ with his saints, as Steve taught last year. And there's nothing to suggest in Scripture that the kingdom of heaven is ever in heaven it's a literal physical kingdom fulfilled by Zechariah, and you can see it fulfilled in Zechariah 13 through 14. 
So Satan inherits the promises of Israel is what they actually teach according to their own, their own doctrinal statement. And so that is really crazy. There's also prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Ellen G. White uh, is, uh, many of you probably heard of her. She wrote uh, several things. Uh, she lived from 1827 to 1915, and her works are, are uh, counted as inspired um, and many would, you know, that means they're right up there with Scripture. So that's extra biblical revelation. Um, and Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary, as I've already mentioned, is um, is just taken out of context. Which leads us to, you know, the Holiness movement, the Pentecostal movement, Charismatic movement, which comes really off of Armenian theology, uh, the Anglican Protestants, the Methodist heritage, the Pentecostal heritage and movement, and I have a whole bunch of slides and information I wanted to give you there, but time will not permit. Bottom line is a lot of that comes, that it really is the, the line. Where does that come from? Where does the, the, the there is no ancient, uh, really, there is no ancient um, roots to the charismatic groups. They, they kind of come off of that. Um, and Armenian theology really isn't accurate either, but it's really more the Methodism uh, that started it, like the Nazarene Church initially was called the Pentecostal Nazarene Church, um, and then they got they got to where like, hey, we don't want to be associated with that, so they dropped the Pentecostal. But um, that movement comes out of <clears throat> a lot of that Anglican teaching, which again is a works based system, and it's a misunderstanding of the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Um, and so, um, but, uh, just to fast forward the tape, by the time you get to the early 1900s uh, in 1901. At Azusa Street Mission, uh, there was one of the, the great revivals. Um, and so Azusa Street Revival of 1906, I should say, rather, through 1913, uh, was a launching pad for worldwide Pentecostal renewal, as we would know it in the 20th century and then the, now the 21st century. So the main feature of this Pentecostal outpouring was the baptism of the Holy Ghost and an experience subsequent to salvation, uh, which is evidenced by speaking in other tongues, and that was the crown jewel Restored by what many called the second Pentecost. And there, there were, however, spirit flashes that preceded Azusa, which prepared the way for its inauguration on January of 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, of all places, right out here in Kansas. Uh, Agnes Oseman, a student of Charles Parham uh, Beth, of Bethel Bible School, spoke in tongues. And sometime later, Parham himself had the same experience and from then on preached that all believers who sought the tongues experience diligently would be recipients of the blessing, most recognize Parham as the founder of the Pentecostal movement. And so that started around the first of the 1900s. Parham was an avid holiness preacher and uh, was nurtured in the culture of religious experience. And uh, so from that grew the tongues movement. And again, as, as you lay all of these, for time's sake, if you lay all these things out against the book of Acts, which I've done in our Acts series, it's very clear to see Again, you, it's just not rightly dividing the word of God. It doesn't, you can't deny the experience, and I'm not going to try to. But what's biblical, as they ended up finding out, um, was that, guess what? They weren't speaking in tongues. They actually sent missionaries to China thinking they were going to speak in Chinese and found out they didn't. Uh, and that actually transformed the movement into more of what you see today, which is a heavenly language and all of this where you got to have someone interpret it, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, uh, there was a fellow named... Uh, William J. Seymour, he was a black holiness preacher, uh, and he was very he was very zealous uh, in 1905. So under the tutelage of Parham in Alvin, Texas, a few miles south of Houston, 
uh, he, they came in contact. And it wasn't long before Seymour, Seymour received the tongues experience and took the Pentecostal message to Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And, uh, and then that is where things really took off there. So, um, so there was a lot uh, going on uh, going on there. The, um, and so it was the flame that turned white hot in, in, their, in their estimation. So after Parham and Seymour received tongues, they began an ambitious effort to spread what they believed to the restoration of a glorious apostolic doctrine. Um, uh, and so the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues, Parham taught that Christ's return would occur on the heels of a worldwide latter rain revival. Uh, which they just had some songs out a few years ago about that, that would restore miraculous gifts, uh, generating a great end-time harvest in this latter rain expectation. It died out in the early 1920s as Pentecostalism adopted certain tenets of dispensationalism, which is ironic. Um, and so uh, the movement was, was dead at that location by 1933 and only lasted 27 years, but has become known uh, to most charismatics as one key event in the life of a charismatic Pentecostal movement. And so um, at the end of the day, how did all this stuff gain credibility, right? So you got Agnes Osmond, and, you know, she was speaking in tongues, and it kind of works into this group in the early 1900s. It kind of dies. There's Charles Parham and and, uh, Mr. Seymour. And, uh, you know, so they get a movement going. This is the thing I want you to see. How did this thing ever pick up more movement? Uh, well, Father Dennis Bennett helped it along, the vicar of the St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Seattle, Washington. Uh, and so this is where, to, in more recent times, it gained a lot of credibility. Um, most historians do credit uh, the contemporary charismatic movement as April 3rd, 1960, when Father, uh, in quotes, Dennis Bennett of St. Mark's Episcopal Parish in Van News, California, announced his congregation announced to his congregation that he'd received the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit and how this accompanied speaking in unknown tongues. After receiving much opposition, Bennett resigned from his position at St. Mark's and accepted an invitation to become vicar of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Seattle, Washington, which grew to be one of the strongest charismatic churches in the Northwest for a decade and was one of the major centers for which speaking in tongues would spread worldwide, especially in mainline denominations. So today, and I'm just going to fast forward because I'm done. Time's out. You got guys like T.D. Jakes. Many of you guys have seen him. Benny Hinn, of course, he's taken off. He claims, uh, oh, Benny Hinn. Uh, there's Amy Carmichael and, and others that, uh, if I'm remembering her name right, that he claims to be a disciple of. You got uh, that fella. Man, that guy's what's his name? Kenneth Copeland. He's, he's demonic. Joel Olstein. All of these have charismatic uh, backgrounds. But I would also add... Um, that that uh, this is this is a very uh, it's not too much of a problem here in the United States for us, but when you go to places like like uh, uh, Africa, man, this is a big problem. Asia, it is a really in in India, places like that where they're very experiential, they're already dealing they're already dealing with manifestations of demonic activity. This this, uh, this prosperity gospel that accompanies the charismatic movement and the sign gifts is just it wreaks havoc on the church. It is really, it is bad in in Africa, and and all and. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Sharon's saying Amen in Guatemala. Yeah, Central America, it's it's bad as well. So I mean, the cure to this is Bible. 
at the end of the day, it's very simple. And I'm not here to, I want to say this, I'm not here to bash on all those. Really, it sounds like I probably am. But it is important to know how to rightly divide the Word of God. And if you have the Bible and you know how to rightly divide it, which Steve just did, is, I mean, really the timing last week was good, just how to lay out the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, how God is working in each dispensation, what God still has in plan, in store, I should say, for the nation of Israel. Understanding the prophecy, talk about prophecy, understanding the prophecy of Romans 9 through 11 is a good place to start, and that God is not done with Israel. There's still more things to do there, and that Jews require a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom. All of those things, some of the things I've been touching on on Sunday morning slightly, all of those things are important because right now we live in a time where the devil's wanting to deceive and take people away from the Bible. There'll be a day where they'll tell you the his and the hers, you've got to be they and them. And so this Bible is not adequate. Too many, too many uh, pronouns that are male, masculine. So this Bible will need to go. And it will be, they'll want to replace it with something uh, that will usher in an experience that will lead people into uh, a more of a pagan uh, worshiping the creation more than the creator and having an experience that overrides what the truth of God's word has to say. Uh, and that is one of the ways that angel of light, uh, that old, that old uh, you know, serpent, is going to be able to beguile people uh, from the truth and continue to lead them into a road that is going to just continue to hurt them. So the only thing standing in the way of that is people who believe the word of God, know the word of God, are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, love God, love people. Um, it doesn't really do you a, a whole lot of good. You can study all the different aspects of all of these different things, and you should have some knowledge of those things. But at the end of the day, before you jump into that too deeply, study your Bible. Study the Bible. Because the Bible is either true or it's not. And if it's not true, I don't want anything to do with it. I mean, it's true. And let God, as I said earlier, let God be true and every man a liar. Because there's a reason of the hope that lies within us. And the sad thing is there's a lot of really good people that get beguiled uh, in a prosperity gospel or a works-based gospel. At the end of the day, there's only two newses, right? Two newses. There's only two messages. Uh, there's the good news that, that is, comes by grace through faith through Jesus Christ and his finished work. And there's work. And it's the bad news. But it, it's, it's, it's that carrot and stick. And every one of the every one of those you can go through any one of those, and they're all going to bait you with good works. Like it's, when you reform yourself, when you get the secret knowledge, when you speak in tongues, when you, you know, when you understand like the prophet uh, Muhammad, or you understand like the prophet uh, Joseph Smith, or you understand like you know whatever the secret knowledge, the Gnosticism that comes with that, they're always going to bait you uh, with some work or some knowledge. And, and keep you from the simple truth that Jesus Christ is sufficient and has already done the work on the cross. And it's simply by grace through faith in his finished work. That is how we are saved. It's not in what we do. It's not in our righteousness. It's in his righteousness. That's what saves us. Now, of course, we're saved under good works. But, uh, and we should manifest that. But every one of those, the JW, our four JW friends across the street, man, they are working their way to heaven. Um, you can go right down the line. A lot of people that would, these Anglicans, working their way to heaven. Baptized not into Christ, baptized into the church. Church will take care of it for you, right? You pay us, we'll take care of it, right? No, that is not how it works. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? That is who, that is who gets the honor and the glory and the credit. Uh, the church can't usher you anywhere. And, and you're, you're in the church when you get in Christ. And, uh, and so we don't baptize our children into the church so they are safe 
until they can get saved at, at catechism or at a confirmation, I should say, rather. Um, no, that is not what the Bible teaches. So there's just a lot of works-based uh, heresies um, that are, are just through all of these things. So the more you know the Bible, the better off you're going to be. So I didn't really do justice to all of the stuff I wanted to say, but that's okay. In the time I had, I did what I could do. Uh, let me let me uh, open it up. Uh, next week we're going to have uh, a guest speaker. So if you got any questions, write them down. I'll pick them up the next week, and uh, we will go from there. All right? If you do have, like, a burning question, please, uh, you can come up afterward, and I can have a wrap session with you uh, or whoever wants to hang around. But I, I need to get you out of here and get the kids relieved from duty, the, the children's workers relieved from duty. Thank you for coming tonight. Let's stand together and add to you to prayer. You've been a super patient listeners. Let me blast through weeks of information and minutes, and I appreciate your guys' listening so patiently. Uh, come back, and we can study the Bible together in a little bit slower pace uh, as we go forward. Heavenly Father,